chill, an uneasy feeling that you are not alone. Don't worry, it's just a ghost. A shout out to Tia Mayhem and Tanya Venom of Stormstress for providing the incredible intro music for this podcast. Hello there, I am your host, Mary Jensen. This episode of It's Just a Ghost is scary cool. It is all about the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, located in Fall River, Massachusetts. I talk with paranormal investigators Thomas D'Agostino and Arlene Nicholson historian and author of Murder and Mayhem in Boston, Christopher Daly and I discuss parts of the case, as well as my experience when I did a tour at the house. You'll hear my mock interview with the ghost of Lizzie Borden herself, and last but not least, some interesting little-known facts. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Dawned with the promise of a warm summer day, no one ever suspected the horror that would occur in Fall River, Massachusetts in the mid-morning hours of August 4, 1892. The bodies of Andrew J. Borden and his wife Abby were discovered bludgeoned to death in their home. The murders have become an international sensation. Mr. Borden's 32-year-old daughter, Lizzie, was charged with the gruesome double homicide. Following the sensational 13-day trial, Lizzie Borden was acquitted of the crimes. She returned to her home, where the crimes took place, for a brief period of time. Lizzie and her older sister, Emma, moved to Maplecroft shortly after the trial. Over a century later, the unsolved mystery continues to both intrigue and perplex. The crimes have inspired countless articles, books, plays, operas, movies, and documentaries. The famous rhyme, sometimes referred to as the Jump Rope Song, was created by an unknown person around the time of Lizzie's trial in 1893. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Though it is a catchy and memorable tune, the details are not true. No one knows who committed the crimes. It was actually Lizzie's stepmom, as her real mother had died when Lizzie was very young. Abby received 18 blows to the back of the head and one to the side of the head. Andrew received 10 blows to the area between his ear, eyes, and nose. Lizzie remained in Fall River until she died of pneumonia on June 1, 1927. Lizzie, later known as Lizbeth, and the rest of the Borden family are buried in the Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River, Massachusetts. Here are paranormal investigators and the authors of 13 books about the paranormal, Thomas D'Agostino and Arlene Nicholson. They will be talking about when they did an investigation at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. If you would like to hear my full interview with Thomas and Arlene, you can catch that on my pilot episode in this podcast. It's just a ghost. Yeah, we did a few overnight investigations at the Lizzie Board, and one of them was a table tipping one. Remember that? Oh, yeah, that the was The table funny. tipping investigation. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. Yeah, so we've done a few there, and um, 
really not much happened, huh? The only thing I recall happening was we were on the top floor, and remember the camera moved? Yeah, the yeah. camera moved. That's right. It, it moved was, on its own. It's, it was positioned in a little cubbyhole area, mm -hmm. and um, they noticed it move. So the lady goes over, one of the investigators, and she goes over and she straightens it out. And she goes, there, is that fine? And Matt goes, yep. And all of a sudden the camera just moves on its own again, and she just bolted out of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she got something to happen there, yeah. right? That's cool. We've seen the shadows uh, one time go around the corner, too, of a hall. But um, as far as, like, anything wild. Not, not while we were there. Well. Yeah. The no, camera well, we moving really, was pretty wild. Yeah, that was. That was interesting. Yeah, that, but it wasn't. That it was wasn't, in the room where the guy, one of the, another person died. Yeah, it wasn't a um, a bad feeling no. there, though. It wasn't. We, we had the luminol, so we could see the blood stains on the ceiling in the cellar and in the wash basin that were dried up from years ago. Yeah, because there's no way that they can get all of that and remove no. all of that, right? No. So that's, that was that's pretty creepy. cool and creepy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I told her we... To get on with the investigation, I said, come on upstairs, chop, chop. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> See what I live with? Yeah. Well, at least, yeah, you can make paranormal jokes. I yeah. like that. While I was doing research on the murders, I came up on the Haunting History podcast about the Lizzie Borden case. I listened to all three episodes and was interested in learning more from the host, Kat. I asked Kat if she would let me interview her as if she were Lizzie Borden. She agreed. The answers were given are based on her research for the podcasts as well as her interpretation and what she discovered. That was published in my digital magazine. When I decided to do podcasts, the magazine became obsolete. This is the interview with me as Lizzie. What was Lizzie thinking? A mock interview with Lizzie Borden. I'm here with Lizzie Borden to ask her a few questions about her life leading up to, during, and after the murders, and the trial where she was acquitted, where she was deemed not guilty by a jury of 12 men of the horrific murders of her father and stepmother. We will also be talking about what it was like for her after the trial. First of all, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I'm sorry if during this interview, at times, it might feel like you are on trial. I don't mean it like that at all, Lizzie. I just want to give you a chance to tell it as you truly remember it, without being on trial. Please, just be honest. After all, you were found innocent. Do you have any comments or anything before we get started? It's fine. I would rather talk about it than hear whispers behind my back. I did it. What was your relationship like with your father? I loved my father dearly. He was a brilliant and stern businessman. That did not make him many friends, but he was a kind man full of integrity and values. He taught my sister and me about business and treated us as he would a son. He believed that women should be educated and taught the ways of business. Correct me if I'm wrong. From my understanding, you didn't particularly care much for your stepmother, Abby. Why is that? Describe your relationship with her. Abby was a fine woman. My father felt my sister and I needed a mother. Emma and I did not agree. We felt our father and each other were enough. Describe your relationship with Emma. Emma was my best friend and protector. She tried to be the mother after my mother passed away. We love each other as only sisters can. 
Prussic acid is hydrogen cyanide. It was used in ingredient in Zyklon. Did you try to purchase prussic acid from the pharmacist a few days before the murders? No, I did not. I've heard it can be used to clean fur, but it seemed too dangerous. It was stated I told the pharmacist that I wanted it to clean a sealskin cap. That is, in fact, not true. I would never choose to clean something with poison. What if someone were to mistake it for something else in our home? Also, I heard that there were women operating for the police to catch pharmacists giving out medications without prescriptions. My lawyer thinks it may have been another woman asking to purchase it without the proper prescription. A clear case of mistaking identity. I have been accused of so many things since my father's murders, it's hard to keep them straight. Tell me about the strange man that was said to be seen hanging around the house days before the murders. Like I said before, my father wasn't considered a friendly man. There were times when he upset people, particularly men who wanted him to invest in their businesses. I assumed it was someone waiting around to speak to father. I didn't do it. Now, Lizzie and Emma had a sister, Alice, who died in 1858 at the age of two of dropsy on the brain. Did your father have any friends? He was a prominent in our community because he was smart and savvy businessman. That doesn't always make you friends now, does it? My father loved his family. He would do anything for us. Before my mother died, he was friendly, outgoing. Losing your wife and a child changes a man. He became less inclined to nonsense. He was raising my sister and me the best he could, and that's all that mattered to him. Friends were of no interest. Now, Maggie was the Borden's housekeeper. Liz, I understand you had a visitor, your Uncle John Moore, show up at the house. What was that date? Please tell me about the visit. I didn't see my uncle the night he arrived. He came in late, and we did not know he was coming. He had a habit of just showing up. He had other family nearby also. I didn't know he was there until the next day, which was the morning of the murders. I overheard him speaking with Maggie. I didn't get a moment to visit with my uncle. Now, Andrew was Lizzie's father, and Abby was her stepmother. They were both found brutally axed to death on August 4, 1892. Abby was killed first, followed by Andrew around an hour or an hour and a half later. Can you please tell me who was home when Abby was murdered, and when Andrew was murdered? Oh, Maggie and I were home. Where were you when Abby was killed, and when Andrew was killed? I woke in the morning to voices in the kitchen, and to avoid having to have a conversation, I lingered upstairs for a while. My plans for the day were to iron, which I did, and to make sinkers for the upcoming fishing trip. I spent some time outside. Um, I picked some pears from the tree, and I stood in the shade to eat one. Then I went to the loft in the barn to look for the things I needed for fishing. I do not know where I was specifically, because I do not know specifically when the attacks happened. I never heard or saw a thing. 
It is said that parts of your story changed several times during the investigation, as well as during the trial, including where you were, what you were doing, and other pertinent details. Do you have any recollection of all of this? My recollection is constant questioning and not being allowed to grieve my father. The doctor gave me a mix of something to calm my nerves. The police were rapid-firing questions at me, and my answers seemed to cause more questions. I remember what I remember. If it changed, it's because I remembered new things at each questioning. The mixture of drugs the doctor gave me affected my memory and ability to communicate effectively. All I know is that I didn't do anything to hurt Abby or father. I've heard it that. Is it true Dr. Bowen prescribed morphine to you very shortly after the murders? Why do you think he would do that? And how long were you taking morphine? Yes, I knew, but at the time I didn't know what he was giving me, and I didn't care. I wanted to grieve, and I didn't get a chance. Immediately I was being questioned. I never had a chance to just think, and I didn't know if I wanted to think. I was frightened by who could be out there and who could do this to my family. Did you ever think maybe Dr. Bowen had anything to do with the murders? Maybe you knew something and he kept you drugged up and hazy? I don't know. I don't know who could have done this. I don't want to incriminate an innocent person. I know what that is like. I believe he wanted to help me. I couldn't breathe. I was so distraught and scared. The police were spending more time asking me questions than they were looking for the person who did this. I understand you were seen burning a dress after the murders. Yes, I burned a dress with paint on it. And what was it that date? Uh, I believe it was Sunday, August 7th, the day after the police had thoroughly searched our home. Why did you choose to burn that dress? Then, I was keeping myself busy. I had planned on doing it sooner, and it was ruined by paint. That morning, I went to hang it up and found I had no more space to hang it. So Emma said, I thought you were going to burn that dress, and I told her I was planning on it. She said, just do it now. I was a nervous wreck. Just trying to find a place where a dress could set me off on a nervous spell. I was just trying to do anything to get my mind off my father being gone. The dress was bloody. Now, Alice was Lizzie's friend. Weren't you concerned that burning a dress would make you look guilty, like you were trying to hide evidence? No, it never crossed my mind. It sounded silly when Alice advised me not to do it, after I had already started. The police had already searched all over the house. They spent a lot of time in my closet with all of my dresses. I didn't care what they thought. I hadn't done anything wrong. I thought they would find out who did it. Little did I know they would only focus on me. Lizzie was found not guilty on June 20th, 1893. Please describe how you felt right after the jury's decision. Oh, relief. So much relief. I could not believe my life was in so many men's hands. Not one of them looked sympathetic. Did they question anyone else during the trial? Well, during the trial, they interviewed close to 30 people. Could you name a few? Well, 
Maggie, Alice Russell, who was a friend of mine, uh, my neighbors, police officers, and my father's associates. Why so inconsistent? My only explanation is the morphine and nerves. Imagine finding your father like that. It was horrible. I will never forget that. Who do you suspect may have done it or been involved in any way? I do not know. Like I said, my father was not a friendly man. Maybe the intention was to rob our home. We had been robbed before. Or maybe they heard me or Maggie and they had to leave instead. Maybe a man my father upset. Or maybe someone my father didn't know at all. I do not know. I wish I did. Maplecroft was the name of the house Lizzie and Emma moved into after the trial. How long after the trial before you and Emma moved into Maplecroft? Almost exactly a year after the murders. People think I bought and wanted Maplecroft for myself. It wasn't for me at all. My sister Emma was alone in our home the entire time I was in jail. I couldn't let her stay there another minute. She was tortured. She was afraid to move without me, not knowing what was going to become of me. The minute I was free, I started to look for someplace else. I couldn't bear the thought of returning to that house again. I killed for the fortune. Talk about what it was like for you right after the trial. It was difficult. I had been social before that. I belonged to and was well respected in my church group. I had friends that I spent time with. And after the murders and my trial, I had to start over again. My friends were not my friends anymore, and my neighbors would not even look at me in the eye. I hadn't expected that. I was allowed to read the papers during the trial. It was reporting that the majority of people wanted me free. They didn't believe that I had done anything, but it wasn't like that when I was free. No one wanted to have anything to do with me or my sister Emma, which was fine. Or we had each other. What was life like through the years after the trial? Years after, I met new friends, people who were cultured, people with talent and gifts. They embraced me. They didn't see me as an accused murderer. I didn't do it. What did you do for entertainment or for fun? Fall River Society treated me like a pariah, so I looked elsewhere. I have always been an avid theatergoer. My sister and I travel frequently to New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., and elsewhere to shop and attend shows. I met some theater people who I enjoy getting to know. Most notably, at Nance O'Neill, we had parties at Maplecroft. Lavish parties that made me forget that I was Lizzie Borden. I started going by the name Elizabeth. When did Emma move out of Maplecroft? In 1905. So Emma suddenly moved out of Maplecroft. It is said that it is unknown why she moved so abruptly and that the sisters never spoke again. Why did she suddenly move? Emma and I had different ideas about what is entertaining? Well, I prefer crowds and people, especially talented and gifted people. My sister prefers to be alone. My new friendships, especially Nance, irritated her. 
She believed that Nance took advantage of me, my money, and my home. I disagreed. I, I am not a stupid woman. I chose to have these people around me, and I did whatever it took to keep company with them. They were my saving grace, and they made me forget that I was the infamous Lizzie Borden. When I was with them, I was just Lisbeth. Why did you never see her or speak with her after that? It is not true that we never spoke again. It is true we didn't live together, and it was true that we were not as close as we once were. But I loved my sister very much. How was life different after Emma left? I was more free to do as I pleased. We didn't always see eye to eye. Well, thank you so much for this interview, Lizbeth. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. I am a killer. Here is my conversation with historian, lecturer, and author of the book Murder and Mayhem in Boston, Christopher Daly. If you would like to hear my full interview with Mr. Daly, you can find that in episode 10 of my other podcast, Entertainment Source Interviews. I would love to come to your lecture that's just about the Lizzie Borden house uh-huh. and the Lizzie Borden case. That case is just always, ever since I can remember, has just interested me so much. Oh, me too. Yeah. You know, I guess because it's it's such a mystery. It is. That's that's what attracts people. It's not really the, the heinous murder. Murders. Um, it's the mystery. I, I always say to people, I would have loved to have done a fly on the wall in that house. Yeah. To know what's going on. I, I have my own theories, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nobody knows. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's, it, people sit and debate who it is and everything. And when you learn about the case, it's it's quite a mystery. It's kind of like, who could have done it? Right. I know, because, uh, you know, you can be reading about it and do a lot of research and stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I think it's got to be Lizzie Borden. (laughs) And then you read something else like, well, maybe, no, maybe it was her sister or Mm -hmm. no, maybe the relative that was visiting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just. Uncle John or was it the maid? It's it's like a big game of Clue. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, you know, during the lecture, I always remind people, it's like we, we talk about these people like it is a game of Clue. And then you have to remember that there were real victims here, mm-hmm. real people involved. And you know what? It's funny about EVPs, too. And I'm actually going to be interviewing Cody Despians, and he is uh-huh. an EVP expert. And oh. I know that he said he has EVP of um, Andrew. Yes. So I heard the EVP, but I couldn't tell what he was saying. And it was pretty, like, the voice was pretty clear. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't heard that one. But I uh, I, I, I was, uh, I don't know if I told you, I was on Kindred Spirits a little while back when they did Maplecroft. I was the historian. Yeah. And um, they were having no luck in the house. They weren't getting anything. And then I said, well you're calling her Lizzie. She, at the end of her life, she called herself Lizbeth. Mm-hmm. Try Lizbeth. And, and I said to him, I was like, this, she's probably like, Oh great. Here come the ghost hunters. They've been working on the other house and now they're going to be over here. And mm-hmm. She probably doesn't want to talk about the case. And so they went and removed everything about, you know, that they weren't going to mention the case and they referred to it as Lizbeth. And I think they got some EVPs on that one. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, because she didn't want to be known as Lizzie anymore. Yeah, yeah, that. and doesn't want to talk about the case. And I, I can imagine you know, her whole life was spent trying to defend it. Well, she, she didn't de- try to defend herself after the trial. She just kind of um, dis- dis- disappeared. It became somewhat of a um, recluse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about... Her sister, she lived, her and her sister lived at Maplecroft. Yeah. Um, and then her yeah. sister just took off abruptly, from what I understand. Right. What, what do you think about that? Do you th- um, it was around the same time that uh, she was, uh, developed a friendship with an actress. Um, oh, off the top of my head, what's her name? Well, she developed a friendship with an actress, um, Nance O'Neill, um, from, she was a Broadway actress in, uh, New York and she had all these theater people up for parties and, you know, the rumors that have come down through the years are that they had some kind of a lesbian relationship and that's probably why Emma left. Yeah. That was one of the theories that I heard too. And then another one that, um, Lizzie may have confessed to her and she didn't uh, want to be in the yeah. house anymore. She, um, she did give an interview. Emma did give an interview to a paper and said it was something that she'll never mention. She'll never talk about it. So mm-hmm. if that could fit either scenario, I guess. Yeah. 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 And it's like with the movies too, there's a couple of different movies and I know mm-hmm. in, in one of them, um, not the one, um, with Elizabeth Montgomery, but no. the other one, at the end, they kind of make it look like um, Emma, you know, she's kind of getting upset because of all the parties, and she's telling Elizabeth that, you know, they're not really your friends, they're just right. here because, you know, of what happened or whatever. Right. And then, then Elizabeth... And you've got a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. then she whispers in Emma's ear, and they don't let you know what she's saying, and then they show Emma running out of the house, and that's it. So, oh. you know, they that one there, it kind of makes it look like, oh, I bet you she's confessing to her. Right, right. So, another <laughs> part of the mystery, you know. Mm-hmm. But, was, was that the one that came out uh, a couple of years ago? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was horrible. And I oh. can't think who was in that one, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I I forget too. I I couldn't even get through it. <laughs> yeah. And I, then there was some kind of TV series after that based on Lizzie, where she went on killing people, or totally yeah fictional. <laughs> the li- yeah, wasn't that the Lizzie Borden Chronicles? I think. Yeah, yeah. That, I haven't seen that. The thing is, people will watch that and think it's all true. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm probably the worst person to go see a, a history movie with because I'll sit there and pick it apart and find all the things that aren't right. And, yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot wrong with that movie, yeah. 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 All speculation, I guess. Yeah, but. a lot of it, yeah, and just things, a lot of anachronisms. And, you know. Yeah, because I visited the house. I went on the tour, and I didn't feel anything in the house. Like, no. well, I just felt a little creeped out because of knowing what happened there. Yeah, that's what I always tell myself. It's maybe it's because I know what's happened here. Yeah, but in the where I felt really creeped out, like was in the gift shop. Yeah, that's that's actually a new building. Yeah, because it, I went on the side of where the the barn was. All right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Maybe that's why, because I went in the gift shop before I even went on the tour, mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And I was just, I, I almost like couldn't be in there. I was so creeped out. And I said, well, this is going to be good because if I'm this creeped out <laughs> in the gift shop. Yeah. And, but then I didn't, I got to tell you though, I do have a couple of pictures uh-huh. that I took um, in the house. Uh-huh. And because I had, I had a digital print magazine that I was doing before and I wrote an article on my experience there and then I did it as um, you know a podcast so when I wanted to take a picture I made sure there was no one else in the room because I wanted to just get the room you know and see if anything showed up or whatever and so I was actually in the parlor there where um, he was murdered Andrew was murdered and I think that's the room anyway. Is that the one that has a big mirror? Uh, the couch? It's, it's the one with the big couch. Yeah. That's there's the two room. parlor. Well, there's a sitting room and a parlor. The parlor is up front. Sitting room's on the side, like uh, parallel to where the, the dining room is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was whichever one had had like a big mirror over the sofa or the couch. Yeah. And right. my friend Tanya was with me. And the only person that was still in the room was the gu- the guide. Uh-huh. And everyone had gone to the next room. And she's like, go ahead, take your picture, because she didn't want to walk in front. So we're looking right. in the mirror, and we said, let's take a picture of us in the mirror. Uh-huh. And so when we got home, I was looking through my pictures, and I sent it. To, she she went home, and I, <laughs> I texted her the picture. I said, Tanya, there was a guy behind us. Oh. And I did not recognize him as being uh-huh. in our group. And I asked her, I said, do you remember this man in our group? And she's like, no, why? I said, well, because he's in the picture. <laughs> and everybody was out of the room. Yeah, everybody. I double-checked that. And the only thing is he was dressed in, like, regular clothes, like what we wear today. Like oh. he had, like, a button-down shirt. And he had a baseball hat on. Huh. But he was not in our group. So I don't know if like parallel universe thing or, you know, there's so many different questions. And then I was in the room where Emma was murdered. I mean, not Emma, sorry, where the the stepmother was murdered, Abby. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I made sure everyone was out of the room. And then I took a picture of a picture that was on the wall. And I think that was Lisbeth in a rocking chair when she got older or something. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it, that was taken at Maple Cross, probably. Yeah, and she was sitting in a rocking chair on the porch. Yeah, there's and, like a stone chimney behind her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I continued looking through my pictures, and I saw the profile of that same man reflecting oh. just his head, though, in the, in the glass of that picture. Because I made sure I stand, like, you know, so I won't really be in it. And I didn't use a flash, but you can see like the profile of him with the baseball hat, but wow. it's just his head. And it's, in the- I wonder if it's one of the guests that had passed on and this is where he wants to haunt or something. Yeah, maybe. But so those yeah. were the two interesting things that happened to me there. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's strange. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing. Sorry. Now I'm like talking like you're interviewing me. <laughs> 
That's okay. But I can use this in my lecture next time. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. So I made sure my phone was 100% charged when we got to the house. Right. Because I wasn't sure if you could take pictures or anything, but I wanted to be ready. Mm -hmm. And so I'm walking in the house and I'm holding the phone. And I watched it was 100%. As soon as I stepped into the house, my battery drained down to 27%. Wow. Like, it just went Yeah, they say that happens. And then it stopped at 27%. Something's trying to drain your uh, energy. Mm -hmm. And it stayed at 20, 27% throughout the entire tour huh. and let me take all the pictures I wanted. But it never went down even wow. more. And nothing materialized either, so. Nope. And when, supposedly they're trying to drain the energy off to manifest. I guess so. They picked my yeah. phone because when that happened, I, I said, hey, did anybody else's phone just drain? And everyone looks at their phone. They're like, no. I'm like, no. okay, well, they picked my phone to get it. <laughs> it's because you have a Samsung. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a preference. But yeah. yeah, feel free to use any of those stories in your in your. I lecture. will, yeah. In conclusion, I would like to share a few of the little-known facts that I came across during my research for this episode. 1. 120 years after the trial, the journals of Lizzie's lawyer, Andrew Jackson Jennings, were discovered. Right away, it was thought the answers to this mystery might be in those pages. Though no definitive answers were found, the journals did contain some interesting information, such as... Lizzie's inquest was not considered valid since she was high on morphine when the police questioned her. The autopsies didn't reveal any sign of poison being present, so the pharmacist's testimony about Lizzie trying to buy prusic acid, which is cyanide, a day before the murders was ruled out. <clears throat> the journals donated to the Historical Society by Jennings' grandson, Saunders Waring in 2012 have been completely transcribed by curator Michael Martins and assistant curator Dennis Benet. Martins and Benet published a book in 2011 called Parallel Lives that includes five photographs and 40 letters and documents in Lizzie's handwriting that had not been previously published. That sounds like a really interesting book. I'm going to try to get a hold of that. I want to check that out for sure. Two, Lizzie and Emma set up a reward of $5,000 for the arrest and conviction of their parents' murder. I didn't know that before. Three, if you've seen the 1975 historical drama based on the Lizzie Borden case, you may know that actress Elizabeth Montgomery, who played Samantha on the hit show Bewitched, portrayed Lizzie. But did you know that Elizabeth Montgomery and Lizzie Borden were sixth cousins once removed, both descending from the 17th century Massachusetts resident, John Luther? Rhonda McClure was a genealogist who documented the Montgomery-Borden connection. So Elizabeth Montgomery actually played her cousin. I wonder if she ever knew that. Can you imagine knowing that you were related to Lizzie Borden? I mean, whether Lizzie committed the murders or not, that's creepy. 
One of the gowns worn by Montgomery in the film is on display at the bed and breakfast that now occupies the Borden house. If you visit my website at entertainment-source.com and click on the It's Just a Ghost podcast link, you can see photos of the dress I took when I visited the house. I have also posted the pictures I talked about earlier. The ones I took of the man in the mirror behind me and his reflection again in the glass. There are a few other photos to check out as well, including one of the apparition of Emma Borden looking out of her bedroom window. That photo is courtesy of the Lizzie Borden house and was taken by a past guest who had slept there. I was told the photo was tested by experts and that there has not been any tampering of any kind done to the photo. You can also find my resource links there as well. I took a tour of the Lizzie Borden Museum bed and breakfast last fall. There were eight people in my group, and our guide was great. She really knew her stuff and answered all of our questions. If you are interested in the Lizzie Borden case at all, I encourage you to go take the one-hour-long tour. I found it really interesting. It is located at 230 2nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. Maplecroft is not far from the house, and they are currently in the process of making that into a bread and bed and breakfast as well. An Oak Grove Cemetery, where the Borden family is buried, is also nearby. I'm sorry to say that I have not had the chance to interview EVP specialist Cody Ray Despian yet. I know I had said earlier I would have him on this episode. And perhaps I can do another episode down the road with him to include his experience at the house and share his EVP of Andrew Borden. Well, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello there. I just have a little add-on that I'm putting on to all of the old episodes. We have a new website address. It is it's just a ghostpodcast.com. And we also have a new email address. And that is, it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo.com. So if you heard a different email or website address in this episode, please ignore that and use the new one. Again, the email is, it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo.com. And the website is, it's just a ghost podcast.com. Thank you so much. As always, please email us your paranormal experiences to it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo.com and we will read them on an upcoming episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can help us grow and get our name out there by telling your friends about us and we would be thrilled if you would leave us five stars. This helps people find us out there in the sea of podcasts. It's all free, so why not, right? You can follow us on Facebook at It's Just a Ghost Podcast and on Twitter at It's Just a Ghost 2. That's the number 2. And also on Instagram at It's Just a Ghost Podcast. Remember, ghosts are people too. Until next time.